Welcome to I Communicate on Full Service Radio, 830 WCRN. To join the conversation, call 508-871-7000. Now, here's your host, Mark Altman. Welcome back to I Communicate, the Mindset Call Radio Show, and I am so happy to be back here on a Thursday. I am really fired up today. I'm back with my buddy, my partner in crime, Ted, and my producer, Ted. How Good the hell morning, are you? Good morning, bud. All right, Ted, so here's the scoop. So, you know, all this talk about the election and politics, which I just, I just want to be fully transparent with our listeners today. I absolutely detest politics. Ah. Uh, you know, people talk about, you know, politics and religion are not safe topics to discuss. And, you know, I say uh, it's more than politics and religion. I mean, geez, Ted, we really can't discuss our emotions. We can't really discuss money. We can't really discuss change. I mean, there's really a lot of things now we can't talk about, right? I always thought about that word politics. Why does it end with the word ticks? Oh, my God. I that's... mean, you know, are they, are they just there to bug us? I mean, is it give you a tick, you know, if you listen too closely. Um, I'm sorry, I digress. No, so appropriate, so appropriately. So so as I was mulling whether America is great again, and frankly, um, it is great. I'm very proud to be an American. I love, I love living in this country. It got me thinking about how we as humans have this innate need to lump people into categories and to judge them and stereotype them. And I, I made a realization about myself that I had never put together in the past this week. And that is when people ask me whether I'm a Democrat or Republican, for the better part of my life, my answer has been I'm an independent. Yeah. And I started wondering why I'm asking, why I answer that way. And I realized it, Ted, it's because I don't want to be lumped in with either group. Yeah, it, it, it's really unfortunate, but it is true that we don't want to belong to any group where they will accept us as a member. I, I'm, I feel that way. I've always been an independent, even when I had to work uh, for a Democrat or a Republican. I've always maintained an independent point of view. Well, here's the deal, though. I realize that I'm the kind of person who I do have independent tendencies, for instance— I do like to pick. I I do like to make money. Don't love to pay a lot of taxes. Right. But do believe in a lot of social programs. So right. But I, you also accept that there are no social programs without robust capitalism. Indeed, indeed. So as I was kind of reflecting on this judgmental nature, stereotypes, lumping people into groups, I also remember that I was the kind of kid in high school who liked to tell people I would be friends with the freaks, the geeks, and the jocks. Yeah. Because, again, I did not want to be attached or lumped into one group and be stereotyped or judged for whatever stigmas went with that group. I want to go to all the parties. So, look, the bottom line is this. You know, my background is, and this really led me down a path this week. You know, I was thinking about my family upbringing and how I was very fortunate to grow up with smart and successful parents and brothers who got amazing grades and to got, into, got into top schools. But as this may not surprise you, Ted, I didn't want to follow that path because I didn't want to be lumped into following the path of what they're doing. Yeah. 
And so I thought, what, what was the path I chose in life? The path I chose was based on feedback I received from others about being friendly, outgoing, extroverted, good with people. And forget if I liked it. I was told I was good at it and I could make money at it. So that was hence the path. Now, as it turns out, I happened to love it, which is good as it worked out that way. But at that point, I didn't know that I liked it. And I went that direction. So why do we do this? Why do we feel this innate need to put people into categories, to stereotype based on things like political preferences, and make judgments? Why do we do it, Ted? Why do we have to do this? Well, um, we could reach as far back as our time as nomadic tribesmen, if you will, and tribes ladies, and everybody had a role to play or you didn't survive. So being able to put somebody into a category, okay, you're going to do the hunting, I'm going to do the gathering, we'll get back together and she and he will do the cooking and preparation. Right. So that's, I mean, that's my excuse for why we categorize people. So interestingly enough, that's a different perspective. And so that's true. That's very true, actually. Where I'm going today is there are two kinds of generally attrib- general attributions we make of people. They're called situational attributions and personality attributions. Okay. Now, the situational attributions are along the lines of why do people behave the way they do? Why do they act the way they do? Well, perhaps they have a situation going on in the present or past that's guiding them down that road. For example, Ted, you're supposed to get together with a good friend of yours, go out to dinner. The friend cancels. Your default reaction is, and let's say cancels with virtually no notice, your default reaction is, he must have had something come up. There was a situation. Not mad, not frustrated. You default to something situational. Unfortunately, the situational attributions are the rare cases because, frankly, even people who we know really well, where we might give them the benefit of the doubt with those situational attributions, we don't if there's a track record of disagreement or argument, right? Right. But it's the personality attributions we're going to focus on today. And the personality attributions are about a person's character. So, again, going back to politics for a second— If you like Donald Trump, you must be blank. And so immediately we make all these attributions about a person's character if they like Donald Trump. And then if you're a Democrat and you like Bernie Sanders, well, then you must be blank. Right. Right. So as you're listening to the show today, I want you to think for a minute of a lot of the the personality attributions we make on a daily basis. For example... A coworker who's short or abrupt, they're impatient, they're unkind. Someone who doesn't make eye contact with us, what do we say about people like that? They're aloof, they're not friendly, they must not be telling the truth, right? People who don't respond when we say hi, inconsiderate, insensitive. And people who don't say thank you when we do nice things, they must be ungrateful. So, We do this all day, every day. We're making these personality attributions, and it's a piece of what we're talking about. But 
In the same way, a growth mindset versus a fixed mindset is a growth mindset is you embrace failure and that you're not at a stationary point. A situational attribution is you kind of default to thinking, wait, maybe they didn't look at me or maybe they didn't say hi to me because they're distracted and they're thinking about some problems they have at home or work, right? So the situational attribution is kind of the glass half full, the bright side being curious, the personality attribution, if there isn't a precedent or track record, is kind of the lazy way out. So, good point. You know, we, we really worry, you know, when we make these snap judgments and we make these situational attributions, it goes much deeper, Ted. It gets to the point of what are we trying to prevent well, here are some things we're trying to prevent. We don't want to get hurt, right? So if we immediately categorize someone as being impatient and unkind, we don't have to, if, we're, if in case we're right, we don't have to open ourselves up to that risk of dealing with someone who's impatient or unkind. And I can tell you, Ted, I'm someone who I think, I was thinking about how I make personality attributions and I have a fear of being misled or taken advantage of. Mm-hmm. So I, I can see situations in my life where I deal with people, and if I get that even little inkling that I feel like I'm going to get misled, I immediately say, okay, I, I don't want to do business with them. I don't want to work with them. I don't want to be friends with them. Yeah, I call it the back-to-go moment. What does that mean? Well, when I'm in a human relationship with someone, whether it's long-term or short-term, and an event like you're describing happens – where I have an inkling that I'm being, one, betrayed, two, misled, or three, taken advantage of, then I go back to go Mm. with that person. And I I start over. And I allow them, in a sense, to hang themselves. Yeah, I love that, Ted. and, and, And just to confirm what you're saying, back to go, does back to go mean resetting yourself to a level of curiosity? Does it mean something else? What does it specifically mean? Well, with people, who, there's two kinds of human relationships. One is nurturing, and the other is a business deal. <laughs> there are no other kinds of human relationships. So back to go, for me, means I'm establishing whether this is a nurturing relationship or a business deal, because then I know how to handle the person. So, so that brings up an interesting point because in that situation, I think to myself, you know, how do we benchmark that? You know, what, 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 what pattern of trust oh, that's do easy. we accept? Okay. I, got, I got it for you. Okay. It's very simple. In a nurturing relationship, the person will tell you the truth even if it hurts them. In a business deal, they're going to tell you whatever they need to tell you to get the deal moving and get to the next step. Well, so – that's, that's a great point. And, and one, of the, one of the things that I was thinking about as I was preparing for the show today is, you know, with salespeople, salespeople have this stigma associated with them. Salespeople have this stigma associated with them of being pushy and aggressive. So when you meet a salesperson, it's easier to protect yourself um, from dealing with a salesperson like that by just saying, oh, here's another salesperson, Right. So when we come back from our first break, we're going to continue to talk about um, the, the, uh, the consequences of judgment and how it affects you professionally. This is Mark Altman for the Mindset Go Radio Show. We'll be back after the break. Right 
Communicate continues on Full Service Radio, 830 WCRN. Once again, here's your host, Mark Altman. So welcome back to I Communicate. Uh, listeners, glad to have you here with us on a Thursday afternoon. And, you know, we're talking about personality and um, situational attribution. And, you know, it's funny. If you're, if you're a customer service person or you serve customers, you know, when you deal with a customer who calls you or comes to you in person and is ranting and being aggressive and frustrating, you are you are doing personality attribution all day long. You're like, here comes another one of those, yeah. right? So you're immediately, and you know, you know, the real problem here is in a situation like I'm describing, when you say, here comes another one of those, whether it's a salesperson, a customer, what you're doing is you're losing your ability to empathize because now you're making assumptions. And once you say, here comes another one of those, you're assuming they're just like everybody else that you've ever dealt with. And what's really interesting to me is, as someone who's been on both sides of the sales spectrum, my motto has always, always been, it never hurts to listen. Because, and it's funny, Ted, I used to, I used to have this sales tactic that I used, where what I would do if I was ever going doing what I call cold walking, you know, going in oh, yeah. person to see people. Five doors around the one you're knocking on. Right. I would walk in, the person would greet me, and this is exactly what I would tell them. And I got to tell you, this worked way more often than it didn't. I would say, I would tell them who I am, and I would say, listen, I have one request. Give me five minutes of your time. If I haven't added value to your life, your job, your career, your company in five minutes, you won't even have to ask me to leave. I'll walk out. And I got to tell you something funny. I did that in a training one time. A guy raises his hand and he says... But Mark, what if you can't add anything in five minutes? I go, then you're in the wrong business. <laughs> I'm like, right. I don't know how else to tell you that. Right. So my point is, is when I have a telemarketer call me, I actually take the call for a minute and listen to what they have to yeah. say to see if they have anything creative. If I get an email, spam email, I do the same thing. And I think that this never hurts to listen and take the personality attribution out, maybe you'll learn an industry innovation. Maybe you'll learn a better technique in how you're doing something for your company. But one way or for, for another, I'm not, I don't want you to listen indefinitely, but I want you to be open-minded enough to hear it. Now look, when you judge a human being, there's three core reasons why you're judging them, okay? The first is you just don't know the person well yet. And you don't know their beliefs, their values. You don't know much about them. And what it comes down to is your brain is telling you, I don't know this person yet. I want to go into protective mode. So I'm just going to make some quick decisions on this person so I don't have to really overthink this and I can just simplify the whole process. That is one of the primary reasons we judge someone. Now, if you're walking down the street and you look at someone, because let's face it, appearance, what a, what a most frequent way we judge someone, right? And you know, Ted, one of the comments I make in, in the trainings I do about communication and human nature is that a lot of us who have distinct characteristics in our appearance have to overcome that. Oh, that's why I'm in radio. Well, so, he, so got me, got me I'm on that sorry, one. I'm sorry. No, 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 no. So here's the thing. 
people who are tall tend to come across as intimidating. Sure. They might be teddy bears. People right. who are fat or overweight are lazy, right? They don't right, work right, hard. Right, right. They don't care they about don't, themselves. Right. So, you know, when it comes to not knowing a person yet, again, not only do we lose our ability to be empathetic, but think of it this way. If you see someone and you make a snap judgment based on their physical appearance, you could be losing out on not only potentially a meaningful relationship, but you could be losing out on paving the way to really, um, if it's a, as you said, Ted, if it's a business situation, having a good opportunity in business. And if it's just a friendship situation, like I said, it could be a great relationship. But there's so many things that hurt us when we make these snap judgments. Oh, you're defining prejudice. You're defining you're, prejudice. I mean, in a sense, you prejudge someone to the point where you fix them in a, into a category in your mind. And in a sense, it makes it easier to operate. Uh, again, going back to the salesman example, uh, the classic story to prevent someone from making snap judgments when they have to go on a sales call is the story about the owner of the company knowing you're in the waiting room, coming out dressed in green khakis with a broom and start sweeping all around you and to see whether you're going to be a jerk or not about this guy having to do his job of sweeping up. Uh. And then, you know, the person either greets you nicely or you say something nice or you don't. And then you go in the office and guess who's sitting behind the desk? It's the guy dressed in green khakis with a broom. Beautiful. Beautiful. So I'm going to tell you really quickly, this is a true story. You reminded me when you just told the story. And I'm not going to name the car dealership because I don't want to get anybody in trouble because that's not my intent in telling this story. But this, this really happened, Ted. I did a human experiment. This was about, gosh, this has to be about 10, 11, 12 years ago. I went into a car dealership, and I went out of my way to look awful. I hadn't shaved for three days. I wore really ratty clothes, tried to sound very uneducated. And I walk in. I go in the dealership. One of the salespeople greets me, and he's like, and I'm doing the exact tone, Ted. He goes, can I help you? Like, total condescension, right? Like, why am I even here was the message. What are you doing here, man? What are you even doing here? Can I help you? Yep, you can help me. I'm looking for a car. Now, I went to a dealership that had a pretty pricey car on purpose, okay? So I said, and I'm just going to fast forward through the highlights of the story, I said, you know, I'd like to test drive it. And he's like, okay, um, you know, we can do it together. And I said, why do we have to do it together? And he says, oh, that's just how we do it. Okay. Now, I don't know how it is now because it's been a while since I bought a car. But back then, it was very normal to test drive by yourself. You wouldn't have to bring a dealer. Or, yeah, no. times have changed. Time, but yes, you're right? right. So he needs to come with me, right? Oh, yeah. And the whole test drive, he's like – qualifying me, trying to figure out how the hell I could afford a car like this with all the snap judgments he was making. He was so rude and condescending. We were at a traffic light intersection um, right across from the dealership. I got out of the car in at the traffic light 
walked across the street to the, de- the general manager of the dealership, and I said, I just want to tell you what just happened. Now, luckily, the dealers, the general manager, handled it beautifully. And he made the guy apologize. And this guy, it was one of these things, Ted, where he so resented having to apologize because you could just tell this is who he was. But to your point, you know, I guess the biggest takeaway, before I share the other two reasons why we judge, the biggest takeaway about this first one is we don't know people's values, belief systems, whether we can trust them yet, is what are you afraid of? You know, it's really a protective mechanism that you prejudge to protect yourself. There's no other reason. Why would you prejudge on that scenario side to protect yourself? And protect yourself from what? So, number two, Ted. The person somehow threatens how we perceive ourselves. I can tell you I've done this two times in my life. Number one, when I was younger in my 20s, I would go to business functions and see all these guys dressed in sharp suits and looking like they knew everything, and I got my inferiority complex on, and I was like, oh, what's up with these guys? These guys these guys are phonies. Like, they're not even real. You know what I mean? No, they're just caricatures. And, And in the same thing, in a social situation, if you go to a bar, I was never the type to pick up women at a bar, but if you go in a social situation, you see the guys with the slick back hair and looking really good, and you're like, what? Don't forget the toothpick. Yeah, oh, the toothpick. Definitely the toothpick. So I think this number, this, this inferiority complex, threaten how we perceive ourselves, and we just assume if they fit this model or template or mode that, that isn't us and that we don't feel comfortable with, we need to judge them. Well, let me challenge you on one thing. Often, the thing that we don't like when we look at someone is something we don't like about ourselves. That's true. Yeah, well, and, and that's something, in, in the cases I just mentioned, the something I didn't like about myself is I didn't really like to have to dress up because I had convinced myself that... Oh, that's by, not important. Yeah, that's not important because yeah. it, it represented an image yeah. Yeah. of how I would be judged. Yeah, I was there too. Yep, so... Twi- when you're in your 20s, that's sort of the way the brain works. You so, know, you want to be the uh, spoiler. Yeah, and here's the problem. When, you know... And, and, and when you feel threatened of how you see yourself, okay, or like you said, Ted, we see something fall short in ourselves, okay, usually those two are going to elicit negative emotions, not positive yeah. ones. Yeah, unfortunately, yeah. So, so the response, the internal response is that. So when we get back from the break, I am going to share you the absolute number one thing that causes judgment above all, be and all, and that is the enemy in so many different things we're trying to accomplish in our life. I'm Mark Altman for I Communicate. We'll be back after the break. Communicate continues on Full Service Radio, 830 WCRN. Once again, here's your host, Mark Altman. Welcome back to the Mindset Go Radio Show. I communicate. Glad to be back here on a Thursday afternoon with everybody. And so when we went into the break, I was teasing it, Ted, with 
the number one thing that causes this lumping people into categories, stereotyping, judging. And I'm going to tell you, Ted, you're going to have a little chuckle when I tell you this because you're going to totally know time. Time. We're always in such a rush. We're always so busy. Ted, you and I who are big fans of emotional intelligence, we know one of the biggest enemies to emotional intelligence. People have to slow down and Absolutely. stop and think and recognize and pause. Well, that's what it is for, for judgment okay. because it's just so quick. It's just so easy. Can, can I give you a, a comparison? Please. If you're into art, the world is more like a Warhol than like a Monet. But you can make your life like a Monet. Just slow it down it's and just, look at the brushstrokes. But you, but you know what? It's so hard. It, not for me because I see the value and the benefit of it. But, you know, it goes back to so many people know what they're supposed to do, but they just don't know how to do it. They don't know how to get – like when, like if you had – Thousands of people listening to the show today, and they heard what we just said. I don't think many of them are sitting in their car going, right. It's just we have to slow down. Like, people know they go too fast. People know they're racing through the day and not slowing down. But it's not – you know what, Ted? It's partly the how, but it's partly being motivated enough to execute the how because we all have instant gratification. We all know what to do. The question is is whether we're – empowered to do it ourselves. And I hate that word, mm. empowered. But people wait for somebody else to direct them rather than take on the direction. And I've been guilty of this. I used to drive like 200, 350 miles a day in a job, okay? And I would get all wound up by 445, okay? And I'm behind the wheel and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get through this traffic. I'm gonna... And it really took an intervention on my own part to just sit back and slow down and realize three minutes is not going to make a difference at the end of the ride. But it could very well kill me and somebody else if I don't accept it. So the only thing is, is I agree with that partially. It's just that I don't know if it's always they need someone else to direct them. I think a lot of people... You know, I, I, it's not my phraseology, but I use it a lot. I call it an accountability partner. I think they need someone to be accountable to. Not that they need to be directed, but I think that there's a lot of people, Ted, that, you know, they would say, look, I know I would do better slowing down because I could make better decisions. I could do some more critical thinking, improve my relationships with people. And they know the peripheral benefits but I don't think they can in turn translate those peripheral benefits to an immediate benefit that they could grab onto. Because when you talk about slowing down and making better decisions, you would have to, to really understand the true benefit of not judging people and taking your time, you would have to actually track times that you slowed down where you were able to make a good decision versus your normal mode of modus operandi, which is to keep going all day, every day, and seeing the impact of the rush decisions. And most people don't desire to do that. They don't want to take the time because, again, it takes more time to measure that. So what's, what's really interesting is so much of this comes down to motivation. Okay, so it's one thing to slow down. It's one thing to take the time 
to not put people in bucket buckets, not lose your sense of empathy, right? But the motivation is, it's your own motivation, but it's also understanding the other person's motivation. So I gave an example earlier in the show where you walk by someone at work and they're short with you or they act very impatient with you. And if you make that personality attribution, you're not really understanding their motivation. Because if they're short with you, why would they be motivated to be short with you? Like, why is anybody motivated to be rude to another person? It's difficult to fathom that someone would think that through, to be rude. Right. I think people are perceived as rude because they're at the wrong place at the wrong time or they are incapable of stopping, going a little bit slower to understand where they are, and then responding. Well, and Ted, here's the irony of the whole situation. It's that usually, usually when you have, usually when you have a situation when something like that happens where, where usually when you have a situ, usually when you have a situation where someone is being unkind being abrupt being harsh in a situation that comes up like that we don't know the person and when we don't know a person very well the likelihood that it was directed to us at us is so small that we're in a case of lack of relationship development, we default to personality attribution, it would actually make much more sense, the less you know someone, to default to situational attribution. Because they don't know you. Why would they do something to get under your skin, hurt you, frustrate you, annoy you, if they don't know anything about you? It makes no sense. I got to stop you there. There are some personality types that go through life with the expectation that everyone is in their way. I'm, and I'm not gonna say that I haven't behaved that way, I, but I see it now. So I try to prevent myself from acting out in that way. But Ted, even in that case, I agree with you, but even in that case, that I would still argue is situational attribution because that's someone's own stuff. Absolutely right. right. Absolutely right. And that's why I meant you have to stop a moment and. Be empathic. If the person is being rude and their hair is all out of place and their hand is jiggling a little bit, you can tell there's something else eating away at them. Their appearance, their body language will tell you that. But unless you're open to look and pause and say, oh, my God, this person's in real psychological trouble right here, that explains why it sounds rude to me. Well, I I would take it a step further. I don't even think at a, at a bare minimum, it, it seems it's your thought process when you default to personality attribution, when you don't really know someone, your thought process is flat out irrational because you don't even have to stop and think. I mean, that's the best approach. But what you actually have to do is, why would this person, what did I do to deserve this? Nothing. It can't be about me. Like it could be as simple as that. But this this need to feel like we're the victim, 
you know, that this is a victim's mindset. To me, right. personality attribution is a victim's mindset. Absolutely. So I think, you know, when we take the step back, if at bare minimum, if we feel wronged in some way, shape, or form, your default reaction should be, well, what did I do to deserve this? And unless you can come up with a conclusion, then you should say, not only does it have nothing to do with you, but it has to be a situational thing, and that would, should default to you having an empathetic mindset in yeah, that the case. the old biddies used to say, kill them with kindness. Is there something bothering you? If you ask that question, the person stops, thinks about it, and, and will either immediately apologize for their behavior or say, oh, is it that obvious? Yeah, and I love that question, is there something bothering you? Because when I, when, I, when I teach emotional intelligence and leadership, I often talk about how that question can be asked in multiple different ways. You know, Ted, is there something bothering you? Oh, right. Or, Ted, is there something, is everything okay? Is yeah, something bothering you? Is that like that prefix suffix thing? Oh, you know? my God. A, listen, with all due respect, is something bothering you? Or is something bothering you with all due respect? <laughs> it's like sarcasm. It is. You're right. It is. So... So I want to I want to just recap and talk about cuz one of my goals on this show is that when people listen to the show I want you to be mindful of these things. You know, these are things in your own life that when you get inside your own head and you're mindful of some of the tendencies you might have and what do you need to do to shift some of those tendencies? Well, it all starts with with awareness, right? So if you're the kind of person that defaults to attributing to personality attribution, you've got to catch yourself doing it. Mm. You know, you've got to catch yourself doing Wait, Like, that can't be. Like, that's not who I want to be. Mm. You know, I think of things like, you know, one of my favorite things for attribution, Ted, is a handshake. And i got to tell you, I feel like I meet men who are so overcompensating for personality attribution, I, I I feel like I'm going to have my hand broken sometimes. Oh, yeah. And, and they probably drive a 12-foot bed truck and they've never taken the, the the rubber top off of it. Well, and so how often are we taught? <laughs> sorry. We are all taught, even to this day, we are taught in high school, college, middle school, that you need to have a firm handshake, right? Because right. if you have a limp handshake, people think you're kind of soft and weak. I mean, this is personality attribution right. to a T. Well, one of the secrets to a handshake is to follow their eyes. When you shake someone's hand and they look at you, they are going to compose themselves to learn something about you. If when you shake their hands, they look away from you, they have no intention of treating you as an equal. Well, well, and I think when, when, I, when I shake someone's hand... What I find usually is that if they have a limp handshake, they also have very timid body language to go with it. absolutely right. Right? So, but if you have a normal handshake, not a firm handshake, just a normal handshake, but you're, you know, outgoing and you have good body language, I don't think, I'm not going to make that personality attribution. So, before we go into this break, I want you to think of some other things in the workplace and in life that we make attributions for. Your voice. Your laugh, your punctuality, right? How about in in corporate America, meeting participation? Someone never participates in meetings. They must be really shy or not have much to offer. All these things are important criteria that affect personality attribution, and it really gets in the way of understanding human behavior, 
developing new and existing relationships and really helping people problem solve through different fears and challenges they have. You know, one of the things that's gone away in our culture is the idea of confronting someone. And if you say to them, well, could we say please and thank you? Just in our workspace Mm -hmm. together. You're calling them out. And apparently that is no longer done. That's confrontational and you'll immediately be sent down to HR. Can we say please or thank you as being confrontational? Yeah, that's true. So when we come back for our final segment, we're going to talk about the hardest judge of all. This is Mark Altman for the Mindset Go Radio Show. We'll be right back. Communicate continues on Full Service Radio, 830 WCRN. Once again, here's your host, Mark Altman. Okay, welcome back to I Communicate, and happy to have you back for the final segment. And I said, Ted, hardest judge of all. Who's the hardest judge of all, Ted? That would have to be you and me, brother. Indeed, ourselves, ourselves. So, you know, we're talking about lumping people into categories and stereotyping and judging, but we do it to ourselves the most. And, and you know, Ted, am I, I, can I swear on the air? Are you allowed to swear I on the air? I got my finger on the button over okay, here. Because, because you know that expression, should on ourselves or shit on ourselves. So here's the scoop. Okay, sc- that's enough. Okay, so here's the scoop, right? By the way, that phrase is not necessarily reflected by this station the views and opinions are not necessarily... Thank you for that disclaimer. I'm just saying. No, no, no. I, I, I think the audience fully understands what you're saying, and we all are our worst enemy. There is no question about it that the inner critic runs rampant. So, so here's, here's the message I want you to think about as I walk through this now. I was working with a client the other day, and he uttered the expression... I can't believe I did that. I shouldn't have done that. Or, and, I shouldn't be so upset about this. How many people out there have either said to themselves or have known people say, yeah, I shouldn't be that upset about this? When you make a statement where you say, I shouldn't have or I shouldn't be, you are implying that you are trying to measure up against a societal, an imaginary societal template of rules that you're supposed to follow. You don't know what the hell the rules are, but you just know you're supposed to follow them. And so this whole thing of should do something, and one of my frustrations is that I am a very, very driven person. I have high standards. I have high expectations of myself, but they're not irrational. So I don't just tell myself I'm good at something or I'm bad at something just arbitrarily. I set some ground rules for myself. So if I'm trying to stop a habit or if I'm trying to improve a certain skill, I give myself some parameters or milestones to hit so I know if I'm actually making the growth or improvement. Because if I don't do that, then I'm invariably going to default to I'm not good enough or I should have been better, or I should have done more. 
And this is really key because, you know, we tell ourselves stories all the time, ourselves. We're playing records. We're playing messages in our head. And there is a message that I've been playing for myself my whole life. I, I catch myself sometimes, not all the time. But, you know, I dropped out of college before I transferred. And I was at a pretty low point in my life where I wasn't very motivated, wasn't doing myself. I was playing video games all the time. I was, you know, just not doing anything productive as a whole. And now, ever ever since I snapped out of that, we're going to say about 23, 24 years ago, I have such trouble with downtime. Because the second I stop pushing forward, I tell myself, geez, I'm not being really productive right now. You know, I should be doing more. How do I stay ahead of the competition? How do I be the best at what I'm going to do? Uh, I got to do more. You're slipping, dude. I mean, I can't even, Ted, there are right, times right. when I can't even sit down and watch a one-hour TV show or a game, a sports game, where I'm a big sports fan, without feeling guilty. Like, you know, geez, I should, I'm judging myself. I can't believe. The wheels are cranking on that other thing. So this business of you can do both, right? You can have high standards, you can have high expectations, you can have passion and drive, but you know what you need with it? You need a friendly inner voice to support you. Because every time you tell yourself you're not doing enough or you don't have a right to feel a certain way, you're, you're affecting your confidence. You're impacting your ability to achieve the very things that you have told yourself you are not achieving. One of the secrets that unfortunately has been lost in our education system was practiced by the Wharton School of Surgery up until the uh, change uh, the uh, end of the century, and that was this: you could not graduate as a surgeon from the school until you could demonstrate to the panel that you could perform some artistic endeavor, play the violin, paint a painting, write poetry and perform it. If you could not do one of those things, then you would not be a good surgeon. Why? Surgery can be pretty stressful and you have to know how to be able to bring yourself down, slow it down and reward yourself with something creative and be kind to yourself. Well, but here's the thing, Ted. I agree with you. And here's the thing. Th- that, re- that word reward, that's a trigger word for a lot of people. Because, you know, when we're kids, we do something well, we get taken to Dairy Queen. Or we get taken for candy or ice cream or fast food or something like this. But see, to me, the thing is, you know what your reward can be? Because Ted's absolutely right. What your reward can be is complimenting yourself. Hey, I hit that milestone. Hey, I, I got you know what? That's pretty cool. I was able to accomplish that. I didn't know I was going to. That's a reward. Without being false with yourself. Right. And and so so the words authentic and transparent also not they're not just with others, they're with yourself. You know, be authentic with yourself and understand. And you know, I gotta tell you, one of the prime examples that I see when it comes to this inner voice, being kind to yourself, giving reward, is this phrase chip on your shoulder. So a lot of people walk around with a chip on their shoulder. And one of the prime reasons people feel a chip on their shoulder is because they've been underestimated. So they've told themselves 
all throughout the course of their life or at various stages of their life, they've been underestimated. So they like playing that record in their head. They like saying that. And here's the problem. On one hand, that can be a good thing because you use it as a motivational tool. And some of us need those motivational tools. So in, in one respect, I get that. And that's good. The problem is if you continue to build in the habit of telling yourself you're underestimated, you lose the ability to recognize growth and improvement and how other people may perceive you and judge you because you're too busy telling yourself all the time you're underestimated. A self-fulfilling prophecy. Totally self-fulfilling prophecy. So, you know, a lot of what I talk about when I do training and coaching on this show is your mindset. And the danger with a lot of the stuff we're talking about today is when you have developed the habit of your inner voice not being nice, doing the should-haves, creating artificial rules that don't exist, following a societal template that you haven't even confirmed what it is and is imaginary, it's truly going to affect your confidence in your mindset. It just flat out will. And so, look, none of us want to be disappointed. Right? None of us want to be disappointed. We want to protect ourselves from being vulnerable, from being disappointed, from being let down, from being taken advantage of, misled, fooled, hurt, whatever. None of us want that. But some of the causes that we have led ourselves to believe that create that disappointment are not true. So we need to start being truthful with ourselves and with others when it comes to attribution and making judgments, and labeling people, and stigmatizing people, even if there are patterns and track records, because people change. People evolve all the time. People are evolving. So even if they have a habit or track record of something, it still might not be accurate to make that attribution. So it's time to take a step back. Understand that if you don't really know someone very well, it's irrational to think their behavior was an attack on you. Great advice. Right? It's time to default to situational attribution much more than personality attribution. And it's time to use mindfulness. And if that word makes you uncomfortable because you don't understand it or it seems too heavy or it seems too out there, then the approach is don't call it mindfulness. Calling it, call it stop, think, and, and respond if that makes you feel better. But one way or the other, stop, slow down, don't make time the enemy. Because if you make time the enemy, you'll have much bigger enemies on your hands. No, this is great high test, man. So thank you for joining us for another edition of the Mindset Go Radio Show. If you want more information about Bring Mindset Go to your company or your organization, info at mindsetgo.com. You could call at 978-206-1535. What's that number? 978-206-1535. Hope you have a wonderful rest of the week. Ted, thanks again for your efforts and contribution. Thank you, brother. And uh, have a wonderful rest of the week. You've been listening to I Communicate with your host, Mark Altman. Join us again each week at this time on full-service radio, WCRN.